Learn to read the instructions. A lot of things going on. And then, so we want to encourage you guys. You don't want to, you don't want to miss out. Also, we want to pray this morning uh, for a couple of things that are going on. We want to pray for James and Michelle Nett. James is actually in Romania with Michelle teaching right now. They're, they're teaching at, it's nighttime in Romania, so he's, he's teaching in the, their night service. We're going to pray for them. Also, this morning in Scapoose, there was a house fire and a tragedy. Um, to, to the best of my knowledge, there was three children that died in the fire. So we're going to pray for them. If you are connected or you find out to, that you can be or are connected with the families, please let me know. We have chaplains that are, that are there, but we definitely as a church want to rally around them. So I'm going to pray for our time um, and just, just ask God to, to take this time. And, and then I'm also going to pray for this morning and, and later on we're going to have some communion. And during the next song, the ushers are going to come forward and, and take up this morning's offering. But let's just pause in prayer and lift up some of these things that are going on. Lord, we thank you. We praise you and we thank you for the, the peace that passes all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds. God, you are amazing and kind, and, and yet, God, we also know that there are difficulties. Lord, we do pray for, for James and Michelle, and we pray that you would inspire him to be able to teach your word and to do well there in Romania. We praise you and we thank you for the work you did at Fort Stevens and, and the men and boys out back. Father, we thank you and we praise you that we can come to you in our difficulties. We lift up this family that has suffered loss. More loss than, than just a, a house, but children. We pray for the first responders that work the code. Lord, we pray for the dispatchers and all those that were involved. We ask for your peace to be upon them and your presence to be there to bring comfort and strength. Father, we thank you for all that you've provided. And in your kindness, you provided what we need for the day, for food and for clothing. And we want to worship you for that. These offerings that are being taken up, Lord, we know that these are an act of worship. The songs that we sing, actions of praise. The receiving of communion and the study of your word, all part and parcel of becoming one in you as one body of Christ. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be present, that you would receive these praise and these offerings, that you would hear our prayers and hear our cries and answer them. We thank you that we can come to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
to be that we love and know you because you first loved and knew us. God, we pray that this morning we would be attentive, that we'd pay attention, Lord, to your word and what you have to say to us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue lessons from the land of Canaan, Hudson Taylor once said, there are three ways to serve the Lord. First, We make our own plans and hope for success. Second, we make our own plans and ask God to bless them. Or third, we ask God for His plans and do what He says. Now, how many of you all are guilty of one and two? Yeah, we, most of us. We we, we make our plans, we go, okay, I'm going to do this. And then we might be guilty of number two where we go, oh, you know what? God, I'm going to do this. Will you bless it, please? But the reality is what we really need to do is get into the practice of asking God what his plans are. And not making the plans first and foremost, but saying, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this? And really seek out his plans. Because, quite honestly, God's smarter than us. You haven't figured that out. He is. And if not, you're going back to the school of hard knocks. But the reality is, God's got plans already set. In fact, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future hope. God's already got the plan set. You know, I can rest in the fact, if I can get it through my thick head, that God has already got everything planned for me. In fact, the more I get involved with it, the more I mess it up. And if I was to step back and say, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this situation? And pause, he's going to show me how to do it, how to walk through it. Is it going to be easy? No. Is it going to make sense? Always no. Within this. God had a plan for the nation of Israel to come into the land of Canaan. 
to receive a promise that he made long ago to Abraham, but his plan for that promise and for them to go into land actually existed before the foundations of the world. He would see all of these things at once, what is necessary, and bring that fulfillment. And Israel is now in that place of receiving that promise. God had taken the nation out of Egypt, made them a great nation in Egypt, take them out, put them into the wilderness to teach them to learn to trust in Him. They circled around, came to Kadesh Barnea, they rejected the promise of God. God says, okay, one more time around the mountain, and we'll do it with the next generation. This next generation comes, and they have the history of the Red Sea being parted. They have the history of defeating Og and Sihon. The reputation of Israel and God was tremendous in the land, according to Rahab. The harlot in Joshua 2, she had already testified the fact that everybody was terrified of the God of Israel and that Rahab believed that the God of Israel is the God of heaven and of earth. All of this all coming together. They get to the, the Jordan River and God says, okay, now I'm going to show you something special. Stops the Jordan, crosses over, and they walk through the process of spiritual purification, which is really weird. Because they're there to take the land. You would think it would be battle plans. God says, no. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to prepare you spiritually. All the spiritual preparation is done. Joshua last week had a meeting with the captain of the Lord's army. And now it's time to take the land. With the captain of the Lord's army, Jesus, going before them and leading them. Joshua's chapter 6 through 12 is the whole what we would call the conquest account. When Joshua would narrate how they would go in and defeat all of the cities. Now, you look at this, and some people have a really, really hard time, especially with the methodology of the conquest. The fact that God would declare that Israel has to go and, and basically kill everybody and every livestock animal. Wipe it all out. Men, women, children, oxen, sheep, all of these things all have to be destroyed. And you go, why? That doesn't seem right. God's keeping two promises. One, He's keeping His promise to Abram that He would give to them a land, a seed, and a blessing within this. Number two, he is judging sin within this. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 to 18, we read, Only in the cities of these people and the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. You shall not leave alive anything that breathes. But you shall utterly destroy them in the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Pezzarite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, as the Lord your God commanded you so that you may not purpose, so that they may not teach you to do anything according to their detestable things which they have done for their gods, so that you would sin against the Lord your God. Why did God command utter desolation? Because here's the problem. Israel grew up as a nation in captivity in Egypt, and Egypt was very idolatrous. And all they knew was idolatry. 
And as they would come into the land, God wanted to make sure that everything was removed from the land that would lean back into their upbringing and their culture in Egypt. Egypt was to be completely removed and all remnants within this. And if you understand anything about addictions, you never want to be a recovering addict. You wouldn't want to be a recovering alcoholic and say, I'm going to go witness in the bars. Not a healthy place. So you want to cut off all of these things. And God says, no, nothing can survive. By the way, it is not cruel. God gave them 500 years to get it right. Do you realize that's almost twice as long as our nation has been alive? And God has been waiting for them to repent, and they refused. Their sin just got worse and worse and worse. So God was separating a holy people unto Himself. Meanwhile, He's judging an ungodly nation, and Joshua is fit for the battle. We talk about Joshua fighting and winning the battle of Jericho. The reality is it's God who's fighting for him. It's, the battle belongs to the Lord, as we're going to see. So let's journey through Joshua chapter 6. I'm going to ask that you stand as we read through the text. It's our practice to give respect to God's Word when it's read. 27 verses, I think you guys can handle it. Now, Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel, and no one went out and no one came in. So the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands with its kings and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. And you shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn... And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And then he said to the people, Go forward and march around the city and let the armed men go on before the ark of the Lord. And it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, seven priests carried the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord, went forward, blew the trumpets, and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets. And the rear guard came after the Ark while they were continuing to blow the trumpets. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I tell you, shout, and then you shall shout. And so he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once. They came back into camp, spent the night in the camp. Now Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets, the ram's horn, before the ark of the Lord went on continually, blew the trumpets, and the armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, and they continued to blow trumpets. Thus the second day they marched around the city, once and returned to the camp, and did so for six days. Then on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawning of the day, marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you this city. 
And the city shall be under a ban. It and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and the gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go to the treasury of the Lord. And so the people shouted and the priests blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpets, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell flat so that all the people went up to the city, every man straight away ahead and And they took the city. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. And Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the harlot's house. Bring the woman and all she has out of there, as you have sworn to her. So the young men who were the spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all she had. They also brought out all her relatives and placed them outside of the camp. Of Israel, Then they burned, they burned the city with fire and all that was in it. Only the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared. And she lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers from whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Then Joshua made them take an oath at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. With the loss of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation. And with the loss of his youngest son, he shall set up its gates. And so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was all in the land. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. One of the interesting things about Joshua's narrative is he repeats it multiple times. Whenever something is repeated multiple times, what should we do about it? Pay attention to it. The emphasis is on the actions, but really we've got to understand the, the actions are to teach the emphasis that the battle belongs to the Lord within this. And he starts out in verses 1 through 5 saying the, the victory really belongs to the Lord. We are in the midst of spiritual warfare all around us, all the time. If you haven't figured that out, it's true. And we've got to understand that every battle that every believer goes into is, is a battle that the Lord is fighting on your behalf. And it belongs to Him. And we need to learn to listen to His plans, which are perfect. Now, the, we start out in verse 1, and it says that the city, Jericho, was tightly shut up because of the sons of Israel within this. It was the first city that was to be attacked. The city itself was comprised of about a nine-acre, kind of an oval. We have a picture that we'll show you within this. And so this is an artist's rendition of what Jericho would have looked like. It's about nine acres, uh, and it's kind of an oval shape. And it was double-walled within that city. The bottom wall, as we'll see, and we'll we'll take a look at it. I want to show you um, the, the bottom wall of that city was kind of a retaining wall. It was 15 feet tall, guesstimated. And then the next wall, then there was, there was 15 feet tall, 15 foot span, and then another retaining wall that was 26 feet tall. 
The top of the second wall was a total of about 46 feet from ground level. So it was a walled city. And it was a significant city. And it was tightly shut up in such a way that, that people couldn't get in. Now the normal battle plan of the Near East and the way these battles were fought was you would bring your army out and you would surround the city, the walled city. All the farmers and everybody would get into the walled city. They would all hide in this walled city. And the enemy would surround it completely around and cut you off from all supplies. And the purpose was to basically weaken you and starve you out and intimidate you to surrender. We see that multiple times in all of the battles, whether it was Jericho here Jerusalem, and one of the things when we go to Israel, we'll see Hezekiah's tunnel. Hezekiah's tunnel, by the way, was built so that they could have water inside the city. But the spring was outside of the city, so they had to figure out a way how to get water in. When we go to Masada next March, we're going to see that the Jews at the fall of Jerusalem went to Masada. And Herod was so freaked out that he said, I've got to build something where I can, I can survive. And so he found this mountaintop, Masada. And he built a, a wall around it. So when the Roman army came out, they surrounded the city. And when you're on top of Masada, you look down. You're looking down, and it's very tall. And all of these Roman encampments that are still there, and it, it took them quite a long time. Rome had to build, the Roman guards had to build a, an embankment off the backside to get up to breach the wall. There was a lot of food and a lot of different things that were in there. So they could survive for quite a long time within this. It was the standard by which they would would fight. And so within this, you have something that would seem impossible, impenetrable. How do we fight this? How do we get in? God's got a plan. So everybody goes in the city. It's all walled. It's all together. But the reality is that God's got a plan because it's his battle. And God's going to lay out the battle plan. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it says this. Then he said to him, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What's the battle plan? Joshua, you're going to get your soldiers, your forward guards. Then you're going to have seven priests with seven trumpets. And then you're going to have the ark of the Lord. And then you're going to have the rear guard. And you're going to march around this wall one time each day for six days. And then on the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times. And the only sound that they're going to hear, until you tell them, is the shofar, the blowing of the horn. Now, if you were a, a, a commander, what would you think about that battle plan? It was the goofiest thing ever. God, you want me to do What? You want me to walk around a wall? That doesn't make sense. We're here to fight. We want to charge the wall. We want to break it down. We want to ram the gates. We want to do all of these things. Nope. Just walk. Stay silent. Blow the shofar, which we'll talk about in a minute, and trust in me. The difficulty is many times, many times, God's battle plan will not make sense to you. But God's battle plan is by design 
to build faith within you and a testimony to those that are watching you. Do you get that? God's battle plan, God's actions for your life, by design, is to build faith in you and to become a testimony to those that are watching you. And it's not going to make sense in the moment. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. That's why we trust in the power and the strength of the Lord because it belongs to Him. It is His battle and it's His testimony that He's built built into us. These priests would walk around with this ark. What does the ark represent? Do you remember? The ark of the Lord. It represents what? The presence of the Lord. What was going before the presence of the Lord? It's called a shofar. This is what a shofar would look like. It is a ram's horn, and not metal, and the priests would blow it. And it's a large, loud sound, and they would hear that sound. Could you imagine the people of Jericho? What is that noise? And all they hear is footsteps and the blowing of the horn. But the ark, the presence of the Lord, is the one that's really leading this procession that is there. Israel needed to understand that God was in the battle, amongst the battle. The number seven in biblical numerology means completeness. And so it would be seven priests blowing seven horns. And on the seventh day, they would march seven times. And then the battle would begin. What is God putting on the battle? His signature. His signature. You can see that signature when you study the book of Revelation. I encourage you men, show up here Wednesday morning at 5.30. We're starting the book of Revelation. And we're going to be seeing biblical numerology and all of the aspects within that. Well, what do they need to do? Verses 6 and 7 tells us that Joshua needed to implement the plan. When God gives you the plan, what should you do with it? Do it. How many times does God give you a plan and you go, I don't like that plan? Or you argue with God, but God, can we just compromise a little bit, you know? No. God's plans are perfect. And do it the way that God established it. And again, it's this this walking by faith. He says, take up the ark and march. Announce my presence that's there. Why? Why? What Joshua, I think, understood, the people didn't understand, and for sure Jericho didn't understand, is God had already sent fear to the people in the city. Note Rahab's testimony. In Joshua 2, 10 to 11, it says this. This is what Rahab said. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came up out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond Jordan, Sihon and Og, Whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, note, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. Why? For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth below. That's a testimony of faith. She's declaring that Yahweh God is greater than any other God. Within this. And with, with this Joshua, he adds these guards on, on either side and they do this walk of faith. 
I think that there's an element of teaching in here. God gives the plan, but Joshua also was practical as a warrior. He said, I'm going to put guards out there and put them on both sides of this because we're here for a battle. You know what's interesting about this? And whenever you study the Bible, you get new insights. Think about this. Every time that Israel would walk around the wall, the people were inside hiding. If you were people of Jericho, warriors of Jericho, and you've got soldiers in front, soldiers in back, and you've got the priests, and you've got the ark there, and you had the elevated advantage, what should you do as a warrior? Rain down arrows and rain down spears on them. You don't see that in the text, do you? You don't see them taking that position. Why? Because God went before the nation of Israel and caused everybody to be terrified. And they were hunkered down inside terrified. They didn't even get up on the wall to shoot anything at them. I know so many times with our kids we watch VeggieTales and the peas were laughing, but they really were not laughing at them. They were terrified. If you didn't watch it, you should watch it. It's funny, but... But one of the things is, when we begin to obey the plans of God, we experience victory, even before victory has been had. We start getting these snippets of victory because we start walking by faith. Can you imagine being Israel? Can you imagine being the priests and the guards? The first round around the walk, right? Would that be a little bit terrifying? Yeah, because you've never done it. We've got to walk. And so they would start this walk and they would go around and you would be terrified. But by the time the sixth time you came around, would you be more comfortable? Absolutely. Would you be anticipating the seventh day? Absolutely. Because a walk of faith is a little bit fearful when you start following God's plan. But when you get into the plan of God, then you start having confidence. Then, you, then your confidence is being built up. And that's why we have to follow the Lord's plan and experience that victory. Now, Joshua came down in verses 8 through 11, and he shared the plan again. So he reiterated the plan to all the people. Why? Because everybody needed to know the plan. Two reasons. Why? One, they were all on the same page. Two, a testimony, an inner testimony. It's beneficial for you when God gives you a plan of action. Share it with people. Why? So they can pray with you, but two, they can partner with you. And they can join with you in that plan and share the victory. The body of Christ needs to have some wins, don't we? And we need to share those victories with one another. Joshua commanded the silence of the, uh, of the procession within this, and the guards and the priests and all of these, and there was no attack, and they executed the plan, verses 12 to 14. By day two, everything was going as planned. And by day six, they have that confidence. Could you imagine, though, there be this temptation? Why would Joshua say, be silent? Because the only sound that needed to be heard was the presence of the Lord. But as they would gain confidence, they would have to experience self-control. You see, the walk of faith is to do everything the way that God says to do it. It's interesting. We, we were out at Boys Outback. I went out Friday, spent the night, and, and stayed yesterday. And, and I actually taught this with, the, with some of the boys that were there. And I said, okay, we're going to learn 
what being bold and courageous is. And so I got all the boys, and we had four canopies set up all together. So all, all the men were in the middle of the canopy, and I had all the boys line up, and then they had to do the walk. So I lined them all up, and I said, okay, we're going to do it. And, and one of the younger boys was leading them. And I said, you're going to walk around this. Now be silent and walk around and do this walk. So I had them walk around. By the third time walking around just four canopies, they go, are we done yet? How many more times do we got to go? Because that's human nature. And then I said, okay, now you're done. Now you've got to walk around seven times. We've got to do seven times? Oh, I'm tired. I don't want to walk anymore. And then they walked around seven times. And I said, now shout and come in and kill all the men. And they did. We all died. We think about this. One of the things that's added to this is this multiple hours of walking and, and the multiple times that are walking. There was a guy that did the math on, on how long it would take to walk about nine acres that it's there. And it's anywhere based off of your pace, 45 minutes to an hour. So every day they would get up and they would walk an hour and come back to camp. But on the seventh day, they would walk about seven hours within that. Can you imagine? Get up, ready for battle, go, walk one hour, come back. But on the seventh day, they would walk seven hours. Joshua said in the daily briefing on the seventh day, everything is cherim. It means ban. Now, if something is devoted to the Lord, it is a person, it's a good thing. If something's devoted, if a possession like city is devoted to the Lord, it's for judgment that's in this. You ever wonder why Jericho was the only city that was put under the ban? Ai or none of the other cities were put under a ban. Only Jericho. Why? Because God wants the first fruits of anything that is done and Jericho was the first fruit of the land. As they come in and would take possession of the land, they were not allowed to, to get anything from Jericho for their own personal gain. It all belonged to the Lord. It was dedicated to the Lord. And the valuables were to be put into the treasury for later use in the building of the tabernacle and financing. But everything else within Jericho was to be burned and destroyed. This first city, as he would say, belongs to God. And God planned this utter destruction. As I said earlier... Why would you destroy all the things and the children and, and the livestock within this? The livestock was used as part of the idolatry and part of the animal sacrifice that was to idols. We say, well, what about the, the women and the children? That doesn't sound right. And again, in Deuteronomy 6, 14 to 15, it says this. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people who surround you. For the Lord your God is... In the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and He will wipe you off the face of the earth. That's what God said to Israel. Do you think God's serious when He says no other gods? Deadly serious. He will not share His glory with anyone or anything. No compromise. Now, as I said earlier, God had given them 500... Uh, years to be able to work through this. 
And we look at God as a God of love and God compassion and God that's kind. And that is true. But he's also a God of war against immorality and impurity. God is a God of war that destroys the ungodly. And so many times they say, well, you know, God's a God of love and just let everybody get along. No. God is very decisive and says there is righteousness and unrighteousness. And in His holiness, He has to judge unrighteousness. Otherwise, He wouldn't be a righteous God. He has to judge sin because it's in His nature as a righteous God to judge sin within this. We think about the world. It was devoted to sin in Noah's day. And God destroyed the world with a flood, saved Noah. Can you imagine how bad the world must have been for God to say, I've got to destroy the whole thing? Sodom and Gomorrah, a city completely, completely full of idolatry and impurity. And God said, the whole city is going to be wiped out. Lot and his family are the only ones that saved, and the wife didn't make it out. She turned into a salt shaker. Not good. Canaan, devoted, a land that was devoted to idolatry, where Israel was going to live. And he says, Israel, you are my people. You're going to be the voice of the gospel to all the nations. Therefore, you must be pure. And so all the idolatry must leave Canaan land. We know later in our studies, they didn't do that. They didn't completely remove everybody out of the land. As a result, idolatry crept back in. And as a result of idolatry creeping back in, they would be kicked out of the land and sent into exile. And coming back in. We know later that because Israel didn't do what they should have done, and in Jerusalem, when they rejected Jesus, Jerusalem would be destroyed in 70 A.D. Israel would be removed from the land. They'll be allowed to go back into the land. But we see this, this time of them coming out of captivity and failing again. And then we think of the world. Is this world, this heaven and this earth, this world as we know it, is it going to exist eternally? No, because the world is going to continue to become more and more and more corrupt. And there will come a time when God will destroy heaven and earth. And all sin. But in destroying sin, he also destroys all sorrow and all death. And Satan. And he's going to build a new heaven and a new earth. For all those that have placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, they'll experience that. But those that reject him as Lord and Savior, you're destined to eternal damnation. Destruction. Rahab got it. We pray that people get it. In this, we know that that we need to trust him. And as Rahab's testimony, and again, I'm going to read it again because I think it's important. This is Rahab living in the midst of a perverse city in a perverse country. She says this, and I quote, I know that the Lord God has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away. When we heard it, our hearts melted no courage remained in any man any longer for you. For the Lord your God, note the testimony. He is God in heaven, above, and on earth below. 
Paul would say in Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's with the mouth confession is made, but it's got to come from the heart. Rahab had converted to believe in Yahweh and she was saved in amongst a perverse generation. And she was spared within this. So what did God do? They walked around. Seventh day. Seven laps. Seven laps of victory. Do you realize Israel was marching from the position of victory? They already won. They already won. It wasn't will we win. We've already won. Seven laps. And on that seventh lap, you know those guys were counting. This is number seven. They blow the horns and he says, now shout. Now shout and make this loud noise. Hebrews 11.30 says this. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. There is nothing, nothing that can stand against our God. The battle belongs to the Lord. And by faith we walk. And you may not understand God's methodology. You may not understand what God's calling you to do. But walk by faith and not by sight. Obey Him. And you will see the walls come down. Well, how did the walls come down? Well, here's a pic that I want to share with you. This is the walls of Jericho that are in there. Did all the walls come tumbling down? No. There were breaks in the rampart, in the lower wall and the upper wall, at different locations, allowing them to breach that. Can you imagine, on that shout, so loud, and they yelled so loud, and all of a sudden the breaches in the walls happen, and the army's like, now we get to go. And they climb up over the rubble, and then they go into the city, and they start defeating the enemy within that. And they break into these walls. That are there. Israel followed God's command to the letter and experienced victory. You have on your laps, either electronically or in paper, a Bible. That's God's plan. Follow it. You follow it, you'll have victory. Know it. Know the plan. And then the last thing that we see in the text in verses 22 to 27 is finish with integrity. Finish with integrity. Joshua in verse 22 said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all that she has out of there as you've sworn to her. Joshua did not forget the oath that the two spies made. I love the fact that the two spies have to go back to Rahab's house. Every circle around they'd see the scarlet thread. Everyone knew, you don't go into that house, you leave it alone. But the two spies are sent, go to Rahab's house. Why? She knows you. Now, I want you to imagine this. You're Rahab and her family, and you're shut in, in this wall, and you're hearing the horns every day. You don't know God's plan. You don't know what God's going to do. You hear the army on the outside making circles, and you make the noise, and like any other war, you're thinking, we're done. Day one, horns. Day two, horns. You're shut in. You're not going outside of your house. Day seven, 
Seven laps, seven hours of horns. And then a large shout, and the rumbling took place, and you stay in place. Why? Because you're trusting in an oath. And in that oath, you're waiting. Why? Because you put your trust in the God of the Israelites, Yahweh. And then a knock comes on the door. Are they going to kill us? And it's the same two spies that made the oath earlier. We're keeping our word. Come with us. Rahab's faith is substantial. Do you know that Rahab is one of four women in Jesus' genealogy? Three of which are Gentile women. It's amazing that Rahab's faith, substantial as it was. But then this Matthew 1.5 says, Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed and by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse. So we see Rahab in Jesus' genealogy. And when all the battle was over, Joshua honored God within this. We see how he honors him in verse 26. He says, and he makes an oath, cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds. Joshua said this will perpetually belong to the Lord. And anybody that builds on this, on this plot of land, is cursed. Did it come to pass? Yes, it did. In 1 Kings 16.34, it says, And in the days of Heel, the Bethelite built Jericho. He laid its foundation with the loss of Abraham, his firstborn, and set up the gates with the loss of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Why? Because this first fruit belonged to the Lord within this. And it was to be a, a token of worship. The modern day Jericho is not built on the old ruins of Jericho. It's built next to him, but not on him, within this. And God was faithful to his promise of Joshua. The original pro promise in Joshua 1 9 Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You will have victory when you follow the plans of the Lord. As crazy as they seem, follow the plans. Finish with integrity and honor God with your life. That's what we want to do now. We're going to honor God through worship. And our worship is going to be in the context of the Lord's Supper. The night before Jesus died, He gathered the disciples up into the upper room. and He was preparing for His own battle against sin, sorrow, and shame, but he was going to take it all to the cross. And as he was going to battle, he would say to his disciples, this bread that I'm giving you, take eat of it. This bread will remind you of my body. And as often as you eat this bread, remember me as an ongoing reminder. And then in the same manner, he took the cup and he blessed it and he gave it to him. He says, drink all of it. This cup represents my blood shed for you for the remission of sins. Every person that names the name of Christ as Lord and Savior, that's received forgiveness of sins, is blessed when they receive the elements by faith. Because we walk by faith. You are blessing God when you receive the elements because you're worshiping Him saying, God, I want to honor you for what you've done for me. If you're not a Christ follower, if you're not a believer, if, you're not, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, 
These elements are not for you. They're not. Because they have no meaning for you. If you have sin in your life that you're not willing to get rid of, do business with God. Ask for forgiveness first. During the next song, as, as the elements are passed out, hang on to the bread and the cup until they've all been served. And take that time and just pray. Say, God, search me. Know me. May you work that work in my life. That I would surrender my whole life to you. And perhaps this morning you're doing battle. And you're struggling. You're struggling by faith. You're saying, God, I'm having a hard time believing. Pray like the Father who had the demon-possessed boy. Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Strengthen my resolve. And whatever wall is keeping me from you, tear it down. That I experience your power and your presence even now. God, I thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, I pray you do that work in people's lives. That we would know the victory of following after you. That these steps of victory that we have in our life, that we would live lives that honor you. Every step of the way. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers can come forward.
stand before the Lord and hold up the bread. God, we thank You for this bread and all that it means. Lord, we know that even right now, we stand before You pure 
clean, forgiven. And this bread reminds us of what that purity cost. That Jesus, on the cross, you paid the penalty for our sin. God, you judged sin as your son died in our place. You are a God that has to judge sin. But in judging our sin on Jesus, His righteousness is put on our account. And we thank You for that. Because of this bread, we stand right before You. We ask that You bless this bread as we take it together as one body and one church family. May we honor You in this act of worship in Jesus' name. Let's all take it together. Hold the cup up before God. and God, when sin entered this world, you demanded judgment and that would be death. When Adam and Eve ate from the fruit of the tree, that day they died spiritually. Death entered into this world and everything of creation would die. Yet you sent your son Jesus to die so that we might live. And the shedding of His blood removes all of our sin. It's the atonement for our sin. It's the forgiveness of our sin. So when you see us, you don't see a sinner. You see one that is pure, white, and holy, blameless before you. And so God, as we stand before Your throne of grace, we lift this glass and ask that You bless it remembering the Lord Jesus Christ and all that He's done. And we say thank you in Jesus' name. Let's all receive the cup together. Thank you, Lord. Many of you have brought a special gift that we give on and take up on the first Sunday of the month. It's a, it's a special, special offering for benevolence. Because God's been so kind to us, we want to be kind to one another. As we love God, we want to love others. So the ushers are going to come forward and collect that offering. Give as the Lord puts it on your heart. This, these resources go directly towards those that are in need. So God, we thank you for this gift. We thank you for the blessings that you've afforded to us through your son Jesus. And we want to be that blessing to other people. So may every dollar go towards those that are in need. And I can think of those that would need it even now. Help us to channel these resources to help meet those needs. So that those that receive these gifts would give honor to you. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
God, we know that the battle belongs to you. And whatever battle we're in, you go before us. May we follow you into the battle and not shrink back and not cower. May we fight this battle from a position of having already won. And may we live our life with boldness in this world looking forward to the world beyond. But till that day you call us home, may we celebrate you, Lord Jesus. May we testify of your greatness that the world around would understand that there is one God in heaven above, one God on earth below, and his name is Jesus. We praise you and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen and praise Jesus. Have a blessed week. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.